Check this out. Pillsbury now says that their cookie dough will soon be safe to eat, either baked or raw. Americans heard that and were like, what do you mean by soon? I, I think I know where he's heading in that joke, but I didn't understand his punchline. Well, so he well, overdid the mumbling. Thing. What do you mean by soon? They oh. said with a mouthful of cookie dough. Yeah, yeah, I got that. That probably was what was happening. Were there yeah. people that didn't think you could eat cookie dough now? Oh, you can't, Jack. The raw egg in there. Blah blah blah. How many pounds of cookie dough has everybody eaten in their lifetime? Five million. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good lord. And you'll note I'm not dead. No. Oh. Cookie dough. Oh, I love so it. Good. I lo- may love cookie dough more than anything. I mean, other than a human. Pretty good. In terms of things you can put in your mouth, oh my golly, I love cookie dough. Uh, America's eating habits are changing, Jack. Perhaps you've heard this, because I said it five minutes ago. Avocados selling hot. Frozen pizzas, instant noodles selling out. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Butter, the butter markets are tumbling because of the loss of restaurant demand. Hmm. We're eating plenty of butter at our house. Way to do your part. Yeah. Yeah. We buttered our hot dog buns last night. They are really good. Really? Yeah. Added to the whole hot dog experience. Did you, like uh, just before you threw the dog on there, or like to cook them up on the grill, to like toast them on the grill? They were toasted indoors. But uh, nice, yeah. nice. Um, uh, CBO came out with the report on Friday. I have uh, been making the argument all day long, and I, I, uh, I'm certain I'm right about this because a well-respected historian told us this on our podcast last week. If you haven't listened to our conversation with Neil Ferguson. It's at armstrongandgetty.com. We did an extra large with him, and he's a he's a well-known historian. And, and he said, the virus is a big deal. But in terms of like a, a world history-making event, it's not even as big a deal as the 1957 virus, which nobody remembers. Mm. However, the economic shock that we're about to go through is going to rank as one of the all-time great deals in the world. I mean, that's a big story. Yeah, and nobody's quite sure if it's going to be a tough year, year and a half, or a tough fifteen years. Right. It's 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 huge, and I just wish there'd be more conversation in the media, more questions about the various policies, and uh, taking a look at how they're turning out. Less, um, you know, uh, this 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 mayor wants to open up their beaches. Less whatever Trump said about the virus, and more on the whole economic situation. But anyway, the CBO on Friday. It's a nonpartisan federal agency that regularly gets things wrong, not because they're stupid or, or evil or anything like that. It's just it's very difficult to predict economics. But anyway, what they said, uh, their independent analysis of budgetary and economic issues released on Friday. Uh, GDP will decline 12 percent in the second quarter of this year. Hmm. I'm glad to hear it's only 12 that's huge, though. I oh, mean, yeah. When oh, you, it's shocking. When you're hoping, when when 3% growth would have been a disappointment, Trump promised 5%. Well, keep the in mind. The fact that it's going to decline 12 is really amazing. Keep in mind, if two quarters in a row it declines by a quarter of a percent, the media goes berserk over, we are now officially in a recession. You're right. This is a recession. This is the recession of 2020. And that's, you know, percentage, tiny percentages of a percentage. This is, what'd you say, 13, 12, 13%? 12%. Yeah. GDP will decline 12% in the second quarter of 2020 alone. The unemployment rate will hover around 14% during the same time frame. That's just amazing. 
Yeah. Uh, Brutal. Brutal. How about these numbers? The federal budget deficit will likely rise to $3.7 trillion for fiscal year 2020. Almost $4 trillion deficit for 2020. For one year. That's absolutely unheard of. I mean, nothing even close to that. That's 17.9% of GDP. If you get into historical numbers, that's also uh, just into crazy territory. Well, especially because our total debt will then equal our annual GDP, which is seen by some economists as like a magical, evil point you never want to reach. They're projecting a $2.1 trillion deficit for next year. So almost $4 trillion this year, $2 trillion next year. Can a yeah. country survive that? Only this one. We're about to find out. Only this one. And that is assuming no additional emergency spending. Right. That's assuming things go... Ah, uh, that's not happening. There will be additional emergencies. Well, that's spending. assuming no war that pops up somewhere or uh, the virus makes a comeback or anything like that. Or there's some unforeseen economic collapse because this happened, that happened, that set this in motion. And as we were discussing earlier, the farmers couldn't get any fertilizer. So there was a giant shortage of something. And that's why we had to inject, uh, you know, half a trillion dollars into something else. We just, we don't know what's coming around the bend, which is why uh, we, we have to be smart and light on our feet. Well, we're doing an experiment here and it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. I have a guess. We overspent by one trillion last year, almost four trillion this year, and they're expecting two trillion next year. That's five trillion. No, no, no. Sorry. That's seven trillion in three years. That's not is that even possible? Four into a six, yeah, that's seven trillion in three years. And we're borrowing all of it. Unbelievable. Uh, no no country's ever tried to well countries have tried to do this before no country's ever done this sort of thing and survived it ever so we'll see what happens greece venezuela the soviet union although the u.s unemployment rate was under four percent at the start of the year the cbo doesn't expect it to fall under ten percent until the end of 2021 at the earliest and uh Perhaps even more damaging long term, the labor force participation rate, they're expecting to fall to 59.8% in the third quarter of this year, which is quite a bit lower than usual. So there you go. Those are your numbers. Just got a news alert. Stanford hospital system to cut pay 20% and furlough workers during the pandemic. Hospitals are now laying people off like crazy because nobody's going to the hospitals because everybody's afraid of the covid we have a story about that from the Philadelphia area that just blew my mind, a, a loyal listener emailing, uh, which we'll get to maybe a little bit later in the hour. But, Jack, you know this about me. I have a head the size of the planet Neptune. And so when I what see What size it, hat do you wear? It's like a nine and five eighths. It's got to be custom made. <laughs> I get, you know, the hats they make for college mascots. I have to wear those hats. It's so like a giant Alabama hat and an enormous Syracuse so if hat like to go on the orange. like a beaver that wears right. a hat. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. And you wear the, no, I guess they're hats secondhand. What, are you in the eights? No, size? I don't think. I'm like seven, seven, eights or something like that. Seven, I don't seven, eights is pretty big. It's it's something like that. I don't recall. But, I mean, you know, I, I Aren't I you an eight, up, Sean? Uh, eight and a quarter, I think. Oh I my God! Yeah. Oh yeah. See, you make me look like a pinhead. That's, That's a very big what head. a jug you got. That's look I, at that thing. There's Kid. 
maybe two hats in my life that I'm like, okay, this looks good on me. Everything else just looks like a beanie with a propeller on it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a curse, isn't it? Uh, so anyway, uh, but I will tell you, when I pick up a, a hat, and Sean can attest to this, that says one size fits all, yeah. my reaction is, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I haven't even put it on, and right. I'm telling you it doesn't. Right. And the one size fits all policies that are now blanketing America and choking the economy to death, as we've just been discussing, it's time to do a little trimming and a little stretching on those one-size-fits-all. Great uh, editorial in the New York Times of all places uh, over the weekend. Want to share that with you? Coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This is from Saturday Night Live at home. Kenan Thompson playing O.J. Simpson. I just want to send a big shout out to my man Lauren Michaels and the whole gang over at SNL for doing another SNL at home. I know y'all thought y'all were only going to do the one and then you realized that you had to do another one. Trust me, I can relate. But I'm glad that y'all are doing it because everybody could use a good laugh these days. People are just too uptight and paranoid. You know, just the other day I took my mask off in the grocery store for two seconds, and you would have thought that I had killed somebody. Some lady screamed at me, nobody wants you here. You shouldn't be out. Which I understand her point. I mean, at my age, I am at risk for the virus. But she had to throw a damn coffee in my face. Wow. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> the least self-aware human on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Juice. Yes. Juice. <laughs> oh, boy. You did one, and now you got to do a second one. Oh, my gosh. That's uh, that's edgy. So, Brett Stevens is a marginally conservative chap who was uh, hired by the New York Times, and, of course, all the hand-flapping lefty weenies who are New York Times fans acted as if they'd uh, hired Hitler. Because they brought uh, somebody from the Wall Street Journal. Oh, Lord, a different perspective. We can't have that. Uh, so anyway, he's uh, writing for the uh, New York Times in spite of that. And he has a, had an opinion piece over the weekend. America shouldn't have to play by New York rules. And Brad is a New Yorker, by the way. It's worth mentioning. And he, he starts with the famous uh, cover for the New Yorker, The View of the World from Ninth Avenue, where it's all like Manhattan. There's a brownish strip called Jersey, and the rest of America is called, I can't remember, other places or whatever. That's the view of America from New York. And he says that could almost be a map of the coronavirus epidemic in the United States. Even now, it's stunning to contemplate the extent to which the corona, the COVID-19 crisis is a New York crisis, meaning the wide metropolitan area. And he talks about how the uh, majority of cases in America and fatalities um, have been in New York Metro. For instance, and this is interesting, there have been more COVID-19 fatalities on Long Island's Nassau County than in all of California. That's... Nassau County has 1.4 million people. California has 40 million people. That's incredible. Uh, oh, I want to come back to California in a second, but there have been more fatalities in Westchester County than in Texas. The number of COVID deaths per 100,000 in New York City is more than 16 times what it is in America's next largest city, Los Angeles. God, if I New wish... York City were a state, it would have suffered more fatalities than 41 other states combined. I wish we could run the experiment where the the bulk of the deaths were in 
you know, Texas, Montana, and Wisconsin, and there were very few in New York. Right. And see how the nation would be responding to this. So I logged a lot of time reading this uh, opinion piece, and I'll share a little more with you in a second, but also going through the replies to it. And there were thousands of replies at the New York Times, a lot of them very supportive, but there were was also the predictable, uh, you're crazy, this is dangerous, you don't understand how dangerous it is, if you loosen up now, people will die, blah, blah, blah. And a really common comment from a couple of uh, Bay Area Californians was that the reason... Uh, and, and Stevens argues that the population density in the, the New York metro area is so high. That's one of the main reasons for the, the problem. And one of the replies is, well, San Francisco has substantially, you know, less, but still substantial population density. And we've had way fewer cases. It's because we had active leadership that shut down much earlier to flatten the curve and blah, blah, blah. I thought, you know, I'm hearing that a lot. Let me check something. I went back. The, uh, outlawing essentially crowds of 50 or more. California did one day before New York. I didn't know that. One day. And the, uh, the shutting down any non-essential businesses, three days. That's interesting. Good job spinning by, uh, Gavin and whoever else. Gavin right. Newsom, governor of California to make it sound. Cause if you were ahead, you get to say, we were the first. But yeah. By a day or two, whatever. We're insightful. Well, and and it's so much more complicated than that anyway. It is population density. It's that the, the New York variety came over from, from Europe, and zillions of people go to New York. There's a, plenty of belief that the COVID was ripping through California back in November, December, and certainly January, et cetera. But anyway, to get back to the uh, the Stevens piece, Ah, uh, no wonder so much of America has dwindling sympathy with the idea of prolonging lockdown conditions much further. The curves are flattening. Hospital systems haven't close come close to being overwhelmed. Americans have adapted to new etiquettes of social distancing. Um, most of the worst COVID outbreaks outside New York, like at Chicago's Cook County Jail or the Smithfield's Foods uh, plant in Sioux Falls, have uh, South Dakota, have specific causes that can be addressed without population-wide lockdowns. Yet Americans are being told they must still play by New York rules with all the hardships they entail, despite having neither New York's living conditions nor New York's health outcomes. This is bad medicine, misguided public policy, and horrible politics. And we quoted the governor of Oklahoma, Governor Stitt, a little earlier. He's a very sharp guy. I've been impressed. Uh, You know, I don't know a lot about him, but his statements have echoed those of the widely admired Cleveland Clinic, whose CEO says, listen, we need to use tailored and discriminating solutions that also recognize regional differences. We're using the methodology from the 14th century to combat the biggest pandemic of the 21st century, and it can't go on. We cannot hold our breath forever. So, good stuff. The long and short of it is, no one size fits all, no giant national policies, unless it's, you know, helping distribute tests or whatever. But even... You know, honestly, even the concept of your governor declaring it's all this until I say it's not all this is is idiotic. And you see more and more governors, whether it's a Stitt in Oklahoma or the guy in Georgia saying, look, I'm, I'm looking at the counties. You know what your situation is. 
You guys, in a tailored way, say we're going to open this, that, and the other, urge people to wear masks, keep up the social distancing. We're not going to make pronouncements from on high that are going to choke the economy to death. If these economic numbers stay bad for a long time, you could see the script flip on this fast, where like the Gavin Newsoms of the world are trying to defend their decisions and being attacked. And uh, and other people maybe disingenuously claiming they knew all along this was a bad idea, but right. really attacking him for uh, for for this. If if you know California looks like it's going to weather the virus part of it, but the economy is brutal for you know two years from now, mm-hmm. you could see this flip completely. Where Gavin Gavin Newsom and other governors around the country aren't being hailed as heroes, but they're being villainized. Well, and listen, it might even be worse than that. It might be sloshing back and forth like uh, bathwater in a tub. Where, okay, so the, the economy's brutalized, we throw it wide open, and then Gavin and people like him are demonized, blah, blah, blah. And then we have a big resurgence in cases. And then we got to hit the brakes I again. I told you but, so. But the point we're making earlier, which is absolutely, well, maybe the point of the day is that that's fine. Now, God bless those people who might get sick or die, but if we decide too open, too fast, too casual, then we tap the brakes. And that's the beauty of local and state control. We don't need a pronouncement from the Beltway to say, all right, northern half of California, uh, metropolitan areas of Nebraska, Chicago suburbs, you do this. No, no, local, local, local. White House has canceled the coronavirus uh, press conference today. They've been doing them every day for whatever, a month and a half. They're not, not doing one today. Didn't want yeah, to do one yesterday. too much. They're too long. They're too sloppy. Good. So... Apparently, those are over. Um, we'll bring you all the latest coming up. Hope you can stay with us. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The thing about Pip is, you know, if you stand next to him, you make him stronger. All the Detroit times when Robin wanted to pick on him, he needed someone there to you know, stand there and say, hey, look, I fight with you, just fight. Scotty and I bonded, you know, because he felt like, okay, he has someone that he can count on. And I'm looking at, okay, I got someone who I can actually count on. Mm. So the uh, ratings are sky high for the... Chicago Bulls documentary. I think there's a couple of sweet spots being hit here. Just the right age. Yep. For uh, for nostalgia for people in the like 35 to 60 year old range. I mean, just the perfect you know time frame. But not so old that it's all white guys in tiny shorts and you know <laughs> canvas uh, tennis shoes. So it looks modern enough. Right. And then uh, there's no basketball on TV, and it's basketball season. So that's that's why the ESPN ratings are so good. And I understand it's well done. I haven't seen any of it. Uh, unlikely I will see any of it, but I hear it's well done. I got sucked in yesterday. Finally started watching it. Oh, it's terrific. The, apparently the, uh, the next couple episodes are the stuff where... Uh when Jordan said, people aren't going to like me after seeing some of this, those are in the next couple episodes. Oh, there you oh, go. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. I only watch documentaries where people get et on by tigers. That's just the way I am. Oh, that reminds me. There's a Carol Baskin update. We really ought to get to that. What? Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin. Killed her husband, whacked him. Can't convince me that it didn't happen. 
venom to tigers, they stacking. What's happening? Harold Baskin. Yeah. We have watched that at my house a thousand times. My kids just love the dance. We love the dance. We've worked on doing the dance. Where he does the little tiger ears. That's the best part. Nice. Well, um, Carol Baskin's dead husband's lawyer is finally uh, willing to come out and say what he thinks happened. Okay, Stay cool. tuned. So Kim Jong-un owns his own train? I wish, you know, if I ever get really rich, I'm doing that. I'm buying a train. I don't know what owning... You jump on, go anywhere you want. I don't know what owning something... With, with tracks, obviously. <laughs> I don't know what owning something means in a dictatorship where you control every aspect of the country. You could have anybody killed at any time for any sure. reason. Yeah. What yeah. does owning something mean? He owns everything, in essence. Well, right. You can, he lets you borrow it. <laughs> you can walk into a grocery store and say, I want to tear this down, or I'm going to start sleeping here every night, or whatever you wanted. Or right? give me all them hams. <laughs> anyway, the train that he usually travels on uh, has been parked at his compound on the east coast of North Korea mm-hmm. for a week. That's part of the speculation that something's wrong, and Senator Lindsey Graham, who's on the Foreign Relations Committee, so should have the best info on this, believes that Kim Jong-un is dead. Hmm. So he said he would be shocked if Kim Jong-un wasn't dead. He's a big, fat, chain-smoking, perhaps diabetic guy right next to China. And and they're totally dependent on China, and there's a lot of flow back and forth with China. So I could easily believe is he has like every risk factor other than than old age that he's croaked. I can also believe that he's terrified and he's hiding. I think he's just staying away from the coronavirus. It's it's decimated their military and their country, and he's just holed up in his little resort area trying to stay away from anybody that could give him the virus would, that would kill would him. Wouldn't you do some sort of FaceTime stream thing announcement? Some video. I wonder. Yeah, if, a Zoom conference where you say, "Listen, I'll execute every last one if you act up." But uh, I'm staying here. I wonder if part of the whole myth thing is that he can't be vulnerable to a disease Ooh, for oh, his people. Oh, right, because they're they're godlike. It's a cult as much as a political system. Anyway, his sister, ninety percent likely to take over, according to people who study this sort of thing. Her name is Kim Yo Jong. She's about thirty years old, and. Uh, Kim Yo 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 Jong. Nobody knows anything about her. She she might take over as dictator and say, Whew, glad that's over. Get the president on the phone and say, let's, let's see how we can turn this into a normal country. Or she thinks <laughs> or she thinks, I am gonna blow up the United States. I've always hated those efforts. Kim Jong un was too soft. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you want to see some dictate and watch this. Hold my I don't know, sake? What do they drink? <laughs> I don't know. Their own urine, I think, because they got no food and no water. <laughs> I think she does. This is the 90-pound uh, babe who was at the Olympics, right? Yeah, yeah. She's a tiny little thing, unlike yeah. her brother. Uh, panic buying has gripped North Korea amid rumors of Kim Jong-un's demise. Residents in the North Korean capital have resorted to um, uh, buying things off the shelves. Store shelves in Pyongyang were cleaned out of everything from <laughs> liquor. <laughs> Cleaned out of everything from liquor to laundry detergent to canned fish to cigarettes. Uh, you oh, know what I'm man. I'm hey, going to have a can of fish and smoke a cigarette and relax. Hey, honey, pick me pick me up a can of fish and some smokes while you're out. <laughs> Boy, meanwhile, that's all in Pyongyang. In the rest of the country, they're all saying, what is buying? What are shelves? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. Um... Canned fish and cigarettes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now we're living. Yeah. 
but so I thought that was interesting that reports inside the country are causing people to buy stuff because they don't know what the hell's coming. Neither does anybody else in the world, but they're thinking, there's no idea. Our economy might co- collapse. We might be on the run. Who knows what's going to happen? Again, their economy? But the folks in Pyongyang are pretty well taken care of because they're the elite, but uh, they got to be looking around saying, I'm sure not saying anything out loud, but our medical care sucks here. And if, if it's killing people off in the, the U.S. of A, it's going to go through this like a tornado. Go Heli- through this country. Helicopters have been seen flying low over the capital, and trains in North Korea and northern China have been disrupted, uh, according to uh, our satellite imagery. Which, of course, has played hell with the uh, canned fish supply. Uh, South Korean leaders are saying that Kim is alive and well. There's no reason for them to jerk the world around. and They, they could easily have better information, right? Yeah, I wonder, there's so many shadows and, and double reverses and fakes in international diplomacy. It's entirely possible the North Korean generals are on the phone to Seoul right now saying, listen, it's incredibly important that we maintain stability during the transition because we're still trying to figure out what to do. Do us a favor, say Fathead is still alive, because if we have panic up here, it's going to roll over the DMZ and into hmm. China, and we're going to have a regional nightmare. You don't know. Worth noting that Kim did a similar disappearing act back in 2014 when he went several weeks without being seen, sparking rumors of a military coup. And then when he reemerged, officials reported they'd been he'd been recovering from surgery. Right. Who knows what's going on? And his papa, who you may recall, uh, made 18 consecutive holes in one, which is really a good round. I mean, really a solid round. Is that a mini golf? No, no, regular golf. Wow. He even aced the par fives, Sean. That's hard to do. Big hitter, the Kim Jong-il. Anyway, uh, he disappeared for a while, too, and it turns out it was because he had a stroke, and he was never the same. So who knows with Fathead? I'll tell you what, end of a long day. The world in turmoil. Mm-hmm. I like some canned fish and a cigarette. Yep, just, just sit out back. Eat my little, canned fish. <laughs> little fork. Just dipping into the can. Take a puff. Exactly. Just Breathe just, it deep into my lungs. Take another it, bite of canned fish. Yep. <laughs> Good living North Korea style. <laughs> if you're among the rich, that's what the wealthy are doing. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. The poor just chew on the can and... Suck on the filters. Oh, fighting a chicken for the last kernel of corn. Yeah, rough stuff. Of course, there's a chicken around you. I'd, I'd suggest you eat the chicken. I'd eat the feathers if I could get it, says the uh, typical North Korean peasant. Oh, you have feathers? <laughs> we I dream we of feathers. For feathers over here in our province. <laughs> Anyway, ah, the lighter side. We'll keep. Jeez. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll keep our eye on that story. That's a that's a good one. This is such a great email. From a guy who just doesn't get it. Luckily, I'm in a uh, generous mood, and I'm not going to say anything mean. But you're going to love this, Jack. And if you've been listening since the beginning of the show, first of all, thank you and God bless you for your patience. But uh, here's uh, Clyde writing, It's amazing that you guys laughed jovially while saying the president said to inject Lysol into your body. First, you both showed one thing. There are concepts above your ability to think. One, thinking that paper may actually be a bad choice in rock, paper, scissors. The other, thinking there's a strategy to winning tic-tac-toe. Uh, sir, we're being ironic. We're not dumber than you. We're actually enough smarter than you that you don't get when we're being ironic. Oh. And you, sir, will never beat me at tic-tac-toe. It's no, an impossibility. No, no, no. There's actually, absolutely strategy to that. I, I do yeah. like Clyde's... Uh, no, I agree with Clyde on this point. Um 
I, if you weren't listening, I said, no, paper is never a good move in the finals of rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> you just never go with paper in the finals. It's Clyde, I was being ironic. Okay. Um, but he does say this. The only strategy to winning tic-tac-toe is hoping your opponent is a four-year-old. <laughs> yes. Yep. That is your best you know what, strategy. Clyde, you are right about that. So we didn't get to the story. Who loses a half a million dollars in a game of rock, paper, scissors? Well, this Canadian Edmund Mark Hooper did. The Quebec Court of Appeals, however, has ruled that his devastating 2011 loss, Jesus has been working its way through the court system in Canada at a moose's pace for nearly a decade. He had to remortgage his home to pay up his half-million-dollar loss at Rock, Paper, Scissors. What a dumbass. This what are you ha- doing? This after the Superior Court canceled the remortgage in 2017. Uh, Hooper's opponent appealed in order to get his winnings. The latest ruling hinged on two factors, whether paper scissors involves any skill and whether it's excessive to bet a half million dollars on the game. Wow. I can answer the second half. Well, so the court had to look into whether there's any skill involved. Because if, if it was just a coin flip, he wouldn't have been liable for I it? I don't know. In a 2017 it, decision, Justice Chantille Chatelion uh, relied in Quebec law on saying that a contract for a bet must depend on actions requiring only skill or bodily exertion on the part of the parties, not just chance. Hmm. She can't do a bet on something that's just chance like that. Huh, it's ruled... got to be a contest. They ruled you got to love the lack of freedom some places. I yeah, think no kidding. And the whole, whether that amount is unreasonable. That's, that's my business. You... In America, two sane adults could decide, I'll bet you $5 million. I flip this coin and it comes up heads. And if they both agree to it, well, then that's an agreement. You got a contract. Um, they ruled that the game might, in certain precise circumstances, call upon the skill of the parties, particularly in the speed of execution, the sense of observation, observation, right, or the putting in place of a strategic sequence. I'm not sure I understand what all that means. Well, so, uh, you have speed, to anticipate. You notice patterns. This guy always, he does rock way more often than anything else. Yeah, he's never done the same thing three times in a row. So there might be some. Well, there obviously is some skill involved. If you if you play once, there's no skill involved, other than possibly the speed, as they mentioned. Maybe you're just a slow thinker. Uh, I don't know which one you lose. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, any sort of skill would have to come from some sort of like ephemeral people reading. Like yeah. I, I I gave them the soul read as I as yeah. I like to do at the poker table. Although you'd have to do it a lot of times before you could be convinced that there's skill and it still wasn't just luck. Yeah, and I don't understand how under those rules a casino can exist in Canada with like a roulette table where I don't know of any sort of perceivable skill do in they that. Ha- do they have roulette in Canada? I don't know. I don't know either. I'm reminded of a fabulous scene in The Princess Bride in which, uh, what's his name, the uh, bald-headed guy is... Uh, Challenging people to figure out which glass has the poison in it. Ah, uh, yes, the uh, the iocane powder. Yes, yes. Now I know what you're thinking. That I have given the poison to myself to fool you, but I knew you would think that. So have you know on and on. Very funny. The court decided in Canada that the amount was too high for a bet on rock, paper, scissors. Shut up. I don't want to live in a country where the court decides that sort of thing. No, indeed. How, how wealthy are these people? Well, the one guy had to mortgage his house, so obviously it wasn't the smartest bet he ever made. Well, I'd say not. I mean, 
yeah, never mind wealth. How stupid is this guy? He was all hopped up on moose juice of some sort. He's fallen moose. Fallen victim to one of humanity's most classic blunders. Second only to never getting in a land war in Asia. Don't bet against the Sicilian when death is on the line. I love that movie. Wow, do you have the whole thing memorized? Pretty close, yeah. It's beautiful. Well, think about that next time you play rock, paper, scissors in Canada. Never start a land war in Asia. Yeah. No kidding. Um... What, what can I tease? I need to tease something. Tease well, something. I will tell you this. The Brett Stevens editorial in the New York Times over the weekend, they got a ton of attention saying, look, we can't have New York rules applying to the uh, the rest of the states, uh, drew a great deal of reaction from various people. Okay. And the reactions I found very, very interesting and outlined some of the, the myths and misunderstandings of Chairman Xi's uh, bat death. Okay, that's on the way. And guess what's the number one song in America? All on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. That's the number one song on iTunes from the 80-year-old Rolling Stones. Living in a ghost town, which came out last week. Number one hit on iTunes. Recorded it last year. Then when the whole uh, Chairman Xi's Chinese bat death thing happened, they thought, wow, that's weird. You remember that Ghost Town song we recorded? We ought to put that out. Which is fine. I will tell you this, though. All of my uh, friends in the musical community, uh, nobody needs a coronavirus song. Okay? (laughs) There have been a couple. My son actually wrote one uh, like a month ago that was pretty good and sweet. Uh, but I think we're good now. We, uh, To quote David Bowie, we're all quite aware what we're going through. That was the first number one song for the Rolling Stones in 40 years. Overdue. It's not easy to have number one hits 40 years apart. It's a catchy tune. I dig it. Huh? Cool. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's groovy. I heard the whole thing over the weekend. It's not, you know, not great, but I think most of it's curiosity to see what the uh, Stones are up to. Mm. But that's good. They still groove. Brett Stevens wrote this uh, piece in the New York Times saying America should not have to abide by New York rules because the reality of Chairman Xi's Chinese bat flu is so inconsistent, depending on where you are. Uh, it's a really good piece, really smart, uh, from a New Yorker. The reaction to it, there are thousands of replies uh, to the article, which, you know, as usual, Internet replies range from insightful and thought-provoking to utterly moronic to uh, completely one-sided and blind, but I'll just hit you with a couple. Brianna writes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Out here in Oregon, I feel that we're playing by New York City rules, in addition to California and Washington rules. It's frustrating to be locked in my home while there are only currently t- only 23 COVID patients on ventilators in the entire state. Wow. While tragic, only 86 people have died in the seven weeks of lockdown, and half of those were the highest-risk nursing home residents. I feel like the doomsday writers from the worst-hit states like New York have clouded Governor Brown's perspective on Oregon's current reality. Yeah, I mean, that's see, you can't you can't let people lose their family businesses because of a health threat of that level. You just can't. No. Well, they are. We are. Well, and there are a lot of uh, amens to this and, uh, and, and support for Brett Stevens. And then you got this MD in Brooklyn. I'm in the heart of the pandemic on the medical side in New York. I can't believe there's talk about relaxing lockdowns without an established contact tracing and testing system in place to defeat the virus. 
Um, he says, uh, once the virus is spreading in your community and people are sick, it, it'll be too late to prevent deaths. At that point, you're just trying to stop the body count from rising. Doctor, with all due respect to what you're going through and your efforts and the rest of it, we appreciate it. We understand that there is danger in opening up. The problem with your argument, and and if any argument fits this uh, description I'm about to hit you with, it's not a good argument. Your argument doesn't recognize that the body count will rise from the lockdown. There are opposing forces at work here. The lockdown to prevent deaths will cause deaths, maybe way more deaths, maybe way more misery, maybe way more illness. If you want me to stick with that because you're a doctor and you understand the medical stuff, there are millions of people all around America who are not getting medical care right now because they're afraid to go to the hospital or the hospital doesn't want them. There are people losing their jobs. There are people who are not going to be able to make their rent, their, their, their kids. They can't afford the medicine for the kids. If you just want to concentrate on bodies, Doc, I got plenty of bodies to bet against your bodies, never mind, you know, deaths of misery and addiction and the rest of it and just misery and despair. Or how about bankrupting the most powerful nation on earth if that happens? Well, right. And certain dictatorial regimes decide now's the time to step ugly. How many lives will that cost, doctor? So it's not quite as simple as your perspective there from Brooklyn. And I don't know that guy's background, how he grew up or whatever, but if you've been in New York your whole life, you have no like real sense of how many fewer people everybody else runs into on a daily basis. Right, and the fact that we're not stupid, we're uh, we're not flyover states. We actually have lives and brains, and we can manage our own affairs. Thank you, sir. Armstrong and Getty.